Lesson 6 for October 29 through to November 4. The Curse, Causeless. Sabbath afternoon, October 29. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you again as we open your word. It's so important we do this because you are the author. Job's story is so important for us to know about. And as your Holy Spirit speaks to us as we open your word this week, we pray that we may glimpse there more of your graciousness, your kindness, and your care for us individually. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Job chapter 4 and verse 17. Can a mortal be more righteous than God? Can a man be more pure than his Maker? Let's read that again, Job chapter 4 and verse 17. Can a mortal be more righteous than God? Can a man be more pure than his Maker? Last week we stressed the importance of putting ourselves in the position of Job, at least to whatever degree possible. In one sense, it shouldn't have been that hard, because we've all been there. That is, to some degree, we've all found ourselves immersed in suffering that so often seems to make no sense and certainly doesn't seem fair. While in the rest of the lesson we should try to keep that perspective, we also need to find the perspective of the other people in the story, the men who came to mourn and grieve with Job. And that shouldn't be so hard either. Who amongst us hasn't seen the suffering of others? Who hasn't sought to console others in their pain and loss? Who doesn't know what it is like to try to find the right words, to speak to those whose grief cuts at our own hearts as well? In fact, so much of the book of Job really is taken up with the dialogue between Job and these men, as they all try to make sense of what so often seems to make no sense the endless parade of human suffering and tragedy in a world created by a loving, powerful and caring God. Sunday, October 30. The Big Questions Most of the action in the book of Job takes place in the first two chapters. Here, the veil between heaven and earth is lifted, and we're given a glimpse into a whole aspect of reality that otherwise would remain hidden from us. However far our telescopes can peer into the cosmos, they haven't come anywhere near revealing to us what we've been shown in this book written thousands of years ago in a desert that is most likely located in today's Saudi Arabia. Job also shows just how closely connected the supernatural realm, the realm of God and angels, is with the natural world, the earth and those of us upon it. After the first two chapters, much of Job consists of what is called in the TV business, talking heads, that is, just dialogue. In this case, the talking heads are Job and the men who come to discuss the heavy issues of life. Theology, pain, philosophy, faith, life and death. And why not? 
Considering all that has happened to Job, it's so easy to be caught up in the mundane things of life, the business of just living day by day, and to forget what the big and important questions are. There is nothing like a calamity, either our own or that of others, to shake us out of our spiritual lethargy and get us to start asking the important questions. Question. Read Psalm 119, verses 65 to 72. What is the psalmist saying here? Psalm 119, beginning at verse 65. You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, and now I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. The proud have forged the lie against me. But I will keep your precepts with my whole heart. Their heart is as fat as grease. But I delight in your law. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better for me than thousands of coins of gold and silver. The psalmist was able to see the good that arose from the trials that afflicted him. At times, trials can certainly be blessings in disguise, in that they either lead us back to the Lord or bring us to Him in the first place. Who hasn't heard stories of those whose lives came to a crisis point, and often then did the person either come back to God or surrender to Him for the first time? Sometimes trials, sometimes horrific and tragic, can be used for a good that, over time, we can see. Other times they appear arbitrary and meaningless. So, to finish today, how have you been able to look back at former trials and see the good that has come out of them? How do you deal with those trials that have brought nothing good? Monday, October 31. When have the innocent perished? Question. Read Job chapter 2, verses 11 to 13. What does it tell us about how Job's friends viewed his situation? Job 2, beginning at verse 11. Now when Job's three friends heard of all this adversity that had come upon him, each one came from his own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Namathite. For they had made an appointment together to come and mourn with him and to comfort him, and when they raised their eyes from afar and did not recognize him, they lifted their voices and wept. Each one tore his robe and sprinkled dust on his head toward heaven. So they sat down with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his grief was very great." Having heard about what happened to Job, these men made an appointment, as it said in verse 11. That is, they planned to come together and see their friend. The texts convey the idea that they were stunned at what they saw, and they began the process of mourning with him. According to the text, they sat silently, never saying a word. After all, what do you say to someone in a position such as Job's? However, once Job first spoke, 
Uttering his complaints, these men had plenty to say. Question. Read Job chapter 4, verses 1 through to 11. What is the gist of Eliphaz's words to Job? Job 4, beginning at verse 1. Then Eliphaz the Tamanite answered and said, If one attempts a word with you, will you become weary? But who can withhold himself from speaking? Surely you have instructed many, and you have strengthened weak hands. Your words have upheld him who was stumbling, and you have strengthened the feeble knees. But now it comes upon you, and you are weary. It touches you, and you are troubled. Is not your reverence, your confidence, and the integrity of your ways your hope? Remember now, who ever perished being innocent? Or where were the upright ever cut off? Even as I have seen, those who plough iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. By the blast of God they perish, and by the breath of his anger they are consumed. The roaring of the lion, the voice of the fierce lion, and the teeth of the young lions are broken. The old lion perishes for lack of prey, and the cubs of the lioness are scattered. Perhaps a good opening for a book on grief counselling could feature Eliphaz here. The opening chapter could have been titled, What Not to Say to a Grieving Soul. Though obviously these men sympathised with Job, that sympathy went only so far. It seems that for Eliphaz, theological purity was more important than basic consolation. It's hard to imagine someone coming up to a person going through all that Job was going through and saying basically, well, you must have deserved it because God is just and only the wicked suffer like this. Even if one thought that this was the situation in Job's case, what good did it do to say it to him? Suppose a speeding driver got into a car accident and lost his entire family. Can you imagine someone going up to him amid his grief and saying to him right away, God is punishing you for your speeding? The problem with Eliphaz's words isn't just the questionable theology. The bigger issue is his insensitivity to Job and all that he is going through. So, to finish today, think about a time people comforted you amid loss and pain. What did they say? How did they say it? What did you learn from that experience that could help you when you are in a position of having to comfort someone else? Tuesday, November 1, A Man and His Maker Eliphaz wouldn't exactly win any awards for tact and sympathy with his opening lines. Basically, he was saying that it was easy for Job to be a light and comfort to others when things were going well. But now that evil had befallen him, he was troubled. Yet, shouldn't he be? Eliphaz said that God is just, and so the evil that comes upon us is deserved. Question. Read Job chapter 4, verses 12 to 21. What other argument does Eliphaz present to Job? Job 4, beginning at verse 12. Now a word was secretly brought to me, and my ear received a whisper of it. In disquieting thoughts from the visions of the night, when deep sleep falls on men, fear came upon me, and trembling which made all my bones shake. 
Then a spirit passed before my face. The hair of my body stood up. I stood still. But I could not discern its appearance. A form was before my eyes. There was silence. Then I heard a voice saying, Can a mortal be more righteous than God? Can a man be more pure than his Maker? If he puts no trust in his servants, if he charges his angels with error, how much more those who dwell in houses of clay, whose foundation is in the dust, who are crushed before a moth. They are broken in pieces from morning till evening. They perish forever, with no one regarding. Does not their own existence go away? They die even without wisdom. There are many fascinating things one could look at here, including how these men understood the nature and character of the true God, even before the rise of the nation of Israel. This whole book shows us that, indeed, others, besides the patriarchs and then eventually the Israelites, knew something about the Lord. Here, in fact, we see Eliphaz seeking to defend the character of God. What Eliphaz heard in visions of the night was in many ways very sound theology, as we see in Psalm 103 verse 14, for he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust, and Isaiah 64 7, and there is no one who calls on your name, who stirs himself up to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have consumed us because of our iniquities. And Romans chapter 3 verses 19 to 20. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, that all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. We as humans are clay. We are so temporary and we can be crushed as easily as a moth. And of course, what man or woman can be more righteous than God? On the other hand, his words were trite and beside the point. The issue with Job wasn't whether Job was better than God. That was not Job's complaint. He mostly talked about just how miserable he was, how much he was suffering. Not that he was somehow more righteous than God. Eliphaz, however, seems to have read all this into what Job said. After all, if God is just and evil comes only upon evil, then Job must have done something to deserve what he was going through. Therefore, Job's complaints were unfair. Eager to defend God, Eliphaz starts to lecture Job. Even more than just whatever collective wisdom he believed he had about God, Eliphaz had something else as well, a supernatural revelation of some kind to buttress his position. The only problem, however, is that the position he took misses the point. So, to finish today, what can we learn from this account about how, even if we are right on a position, we might not be expressing it in the most helpful and redeeming way? Wednesday, November 2. The Foolish Taking Root In chapter 5 of the book of Job, Eliphaz continues with his argument. It's most of the same as what he said in the previous chapter. Evil happens only to 
evil people. Imagine how this must have felt to Job, who knew that it couldn't be right and that he didn't deserve his present situation. However, there is a problem here. Not all that Eliphaz is saying here is wrong. On the contrary, many of these same thoughts are echoed in other parts of the Bible. Question. How do the following texts reflect the sentiments expressed in Job chapter 5? First of all, Psalm 37 verse 10, For yet a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. And Proverbs 26 verse 2, Like a flitting sparrow, like a flying swallow, so a curse without cause shall not alight. And Luke chapter 1 verse 54, He has put down the mighty from their thrones, and exalted the lowly. And First Corinthians chapter three verse nineteen, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, He catches the wise in their own craftiness. And Psalm thirty four verse six, this poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. And Hebrews chapter twelve and verse five, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. And then there's Hosea chapter 6 and verse 1. Come and let us return to the Lord, for he has torn, but he will heal us. He is stricken, but he will bind us up. And Psalm 33 verse 19. To deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Thursday, November 3. Rush to Judgment Much of what Eliphaz said to Job was correct. That is, he made many valid points that we found were expressed later in the Bible. And yet, something still was terribly wrong with his response to Job. The problem wasn't so much with what he said, the problem was more like context in which he said it. What he was saying, the truths he was uttering, just didn't apply to the specific situation. And we'll look at that in next week's lesson. Our world is a complicated place. It's easy to look at a situation and then toss out a few cliches or even a few Bible verses that you think apply. Maybe they do, but often they don't. Look at this statement from Ellen White about how we often bring about upon ourselves the things that happen to us. From Education, page 146. No truth does the Bible more clearly teach than that what we do is the result of what we are. To a great degree, the experiences of life are the fruition of our own thoughts and deeds. End of quote. This is a profound and important truth. But could you imagine some well-meaning saint going up to someone in a situation like Job's and reading to that person the preceding Ellen G. White statement? In some cases, unfortunately, we can imagine that. How much better would it have been for the well-meaning saint to have followed this counsel instead, which comes from the, from the Ministry of Healing, page 163. 
Many think that they are representing the justice of God, while they wholly fail of representing his tenderness and his great love. Often the ones whom they meet with sternness and severity are under the stress of temptation. Satan is wrestling with these souls and harsh unsympathetic words discourage them and cause them to fall a prey to the tempter's power. End of quote. The fact is, as it is so often the case, there's much more going on here than Eliphaz and all the others, including Job, knew. So, Eliphaz's rush to judgment, even with all his correct theology, was hardly the right thing to do, given the circumstances. Question, why should the following texts always be in the forefront of our minds when dealing with anyone, especially those whom we believe have sinned? First of all, Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. Judge not that ye be not judged, for with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged, and with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through to 3. Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doest the same things. We are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do the same things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? And First Corinthians chapter 4 verse 5. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the heart, and then shall every man have praise of God. Even if Eliphaz had been right, and Job brought this suffering upon himself, his words were imprudent and ill-timed. Job stands as a symbol for all humanity, for we are all caught up in the great controversy, and we all suffer in it. And we all, at some point, need compassion and sympathy, not sermonizing. Sure, there's a time and place for getting lectured, but when a man is sitting on a pile of ashes, his life ruined, his children dead, and his body full of sores, that is not the time. Friday, November 4. As we've seen, Eliphaz was not without sympathy for Job. It's just that his sympathy took second place to what he saw as his need to defend the character of God. After all, Job was suffering terribly, and God is just. Therefore, Job must have done something to deserve what happened to him. That's what God's justice is all about, Eliphaz concluded. Therefore, Job was wrong in his complaining. Of course, God is just, but that doesn't automatically mean that we will see his justice made manifest in every situation that happens in this fallen world. The fact is we don't. 
justice and judgment will come, but not necessarily now. As it says in Revelation 20, verse 12, And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and the other book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Part of what we find out it means to live by faith is to trust God that the justice so lacking here will one day be revealed and made manifest. What we see with Eliphaz also appears in the attitude of some of the scribes and Pharisees toward Jesus. These men were so caught up in their desire to be faithful and religious that their anger at the Lord's Sabbath healings in Matthew 12 trumped what should have been their happiness. That the sick had been healed and had had their suffering relieved. No matter how specific Christ's words were in the following text, the principle is one that we who love God and who are jealous for Him must always remember. It's Matthew 23, verse 23, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought you to have done, and not to leave the others undone. And that brings us to our discussion questions for this week. 1. How can we know the difference between the time someone needs compassion and sympathy and when a person needs lecturing and maybe even rebuke? Why would it generally be better to err on the side of compassion and sympathy when dealing with those who are suffering, even through their own sins and misdeeds? 2. Read again Eliphaz's words to Job in chapters 4 and 5. In what situation might those words have been more appropriate than they were here? 3. Suppose you had been a friend of Job and had gone to see him, or he sat on the pile of ashes. What you have said to him, and why? If that had been you in his place, what would you want people to say to you? Inside Story. Our mission story this week is titled Beautiful in God's Time, Part 1. Michaela was the only child in her close knit Romanian family. Her parents were teachers, and the family enjoyed spending time together. When Michaela's mother began attending the Seventh day Adventist church, her father did not object. But Michaela did. She was 18 at the time and challenged her mother's new ideas. When her mother took off her jewellery, Michaela told her that she looked naked. Nevertheless, Michaela still loved her mother and wanted to help her. When Michaela entered the university, she often found her thoughts drifting toward God and religion. She thought about what her mother had told her about Adventist beliefs, and even defended those beliefs in debates with other students. But she resisted a deeper interest in religion. She reasoned that she was young and had a lifetime to think about God and religion. While studying at the university, Michaela met a popular young man. It seemed that every girl on campus wanted to date him. He was handsome and charming, and his family was wealthy. 
but he chose to date Mahela. When she was 21, the young couple married. Mahela felt that God had showered her with approval by allowing her to marry such a desirable man. The young couple often visited their families. While Mahela's parents enjoyed a peaceful home filled with intellectual pursuits, her husband's family didn't enjoy close-knit family pleasures. Mahela's in-laws stopped supporting their son's studies when he married, so when Mahela graduated, she took a job to help pay his tuition. She didn't have to work on Saturdays and usually spent the day doing housework. But she often found herself wrestling with her conscience over what her mother had taught her about proper Sabbath-keeping. As time passed and her husband still wasn't finishing his studies, the young couple began having problems in their marriage. Often, when a crisis came, she would pray that if God would help them resolve their problems, she would become an Adventist. But when the crisis passed, she forgot her promise. When Mahela's in-laws learned that her husband hadn't finished school when he had said he had, they became angry with him and accused him of wasting his life and their money. Angry, he called Mahela at work and told her that they were moving out of the apartment his parents had gotten them. I'll quit school and provide for my family with my own hands, he announced boldly. Reluctantly, Mahela returned home and packed up their things. They moved in with his sister, who lived in the same town. Mahela continued working while her husband worked on obtaining visas to leave the country. Oh, this story is to be continued in next week's Inside Story. A good reason to study next week's lesson. The last half of this lesson has been recorded at the South Queensland Conference Convention held for a week in September 2016. This week's lesson has been read by Dr Percy Harold in the studios of Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired. It is brought to you by the Sabbath School Department and through the services of Hope Channel. Remember, God is always faithful.